You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Got me out here dragging your heavy ass through the burning desert with your dreadlocks sticking out the back of my parachute. You gotta come down here with an attitude, acting all big and bad. And what the hell is that smell? I could have been at a barbecue! But I ain't mad. It's all right. That is all right. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I'm so excited to be here tonight, guys. We we really do have a fantastic show for you coming up. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this one because uh, it's a movie that's uh, really near and dear to my heart, and we'll talk about that. But uh, before we get into our topic tonight, just want to remind everybody that uh, the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network. You can find us all over the place. The main place is on iTunes. At iTunes.com slash TrekFM, you'll find all of the shows we have here, plus the 602 Club. And in fact, while you're there looking at all the shows that Trek FM has, which I think you're going to be astonished at the amount. It's a lot. Uh, but uh, give the 602 Club a star rating and review. Uh, it really helps people find the show and really appreciate it. And when we get those reviews, you'll definitely get mentioned on the show. So just head over there. Just spend a couple of seconds. Give us those. I'd love to be able to shout you out here on the show. And I really appreciate all the people who have gone and done that before because, again, it's a great way for people to find this podcast. Uh, you could find us, uh, of course, on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're on the Babel Conference, which is the listeners-only discussion group. Just type Babel in the search field on, there on Facebook, and you'll be able to get in the group. Leave us a voicemail. Go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. I love getting to play those on the show for people. Uh, and I love just hearing the wonderful listener voices. So send those in. Uh, of course, you can leave us an old school email. Go to trek.fm slash contact. And that's it. Those are all the ways to contact us. I'm so excited to be here because we are going to talk about ID4 Independence Day tonight. And I, I've got a bang up crew and I got a welcome for the first time. In the 602, I can't believe he's never been here before, but Richard, how's it going, man? Um, everything's great over here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I can't believe that you've never been on the show before, uh, and I'm just glad to have you here because uh, I know you're a military guy, and uh, that's right, and uh, you know we're about to s celebrate Independence Day soon here, uh, which means uh, Roland Embrick, 20 years later, decided he needed to make another one, mm. so that's why we're going to do this quick retrospective uh, to get ready for that, so... I don't know, man. I'm excited to, to talk about a movie that man, I saw a lot of times in the theater back in the day. Yeah, I'd probably be the same. I was the same way. I think it, I can't, I don't know what the exact total was, but it's probably more than 20 times when I was a wow. kid. So, yeah, <laughs> I spent a lot. This and Phantom Menace was, were the most I've ever been to in a, an actual theater. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, a guy who works at a theater, so sees tons of movies, knows movies inside and out, the one, the only, Mike Schindler. How's it going, man? It's going okay. How about you? G great. Uh, and well, and I'm really excited because I know that you're really excited 
to be talking the Independence Day films. In fact, I think you may be the person, the only person I know, uh, you know, like through Twitter or uh, whatnot, who's like the most legitimately excited about the new Independence Day. Oh yeah, I'm I'm going to the double feature on uh, Thursday and all that good stuff. Or I did one, I did go to the double feature on Thursday and it was awesome because we're recording this in the past, right? And then yeah, we're that's right. That's future. right. By the time this comes out, you will have already seen the new movie. And I was so. blown away all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wanted to to kind of travel back in time, talking about the, this idea of time travel, Mike. Uh, great segue. Uh, remembering 1996. 1996 was a huge year for movies for me, just in general, because it was Independence Day, and then, of course, First Contact came out. And so just an insane year for films for me. And as a blossoming sci-fi fan, you know, really coming into my own, I was at the theater all the time. And so I, I wanted to ask you guys, like, what was, what was your first experience here with, with ID4? Uh, Richard, what was it about this movie that, as you said, had you going back to the theater just so many times? Well, um, I, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but uh, <laughs> when, uh, when they were doing promotions for the actual movie, I actually, well, I don't think I was in middle school or something like that. And I actually thought something was going to happen. Like it was like the way they were promoting it, like aliens are going to come in and, uh, and just <laughs> invade earth and everything. It just, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, then again, they, they, it was the first time they actually really advertised the way movies like, like they do now. But, uh, I mean, I absolutely, when I went to the actual, obviously when I calmed down, <laughs> I went, when I went to go see the movie, uh, it's it's just it absolutely blows me away. I mean, I absolutely love all the action. I love all the one-liners that are in this movie. I mean, especially coming from Will Smith. Actually, I think that was the first exposure I had of Will Smith as an actor. And um, yeah, I was just, I was hooked, and it just wanted more and more and more. That and I come from a military family, so you know everybody wanted to see it because it was for, it was Fourth of July time, anyways. They they do a great job of marketing this movie uh, because I I was thinking about it too. The the marketing in this was huge, and of course the trailers were all, I mean, and the biggest trailer was the one where they blew up the the White House, mm -hmm. and you know of course. Uh, just it's a phenomenal scene still i mean it still looks great so i the the marketing job for this and ramping this up uh, it is i i think you're right it really is in a lot of ways the first time that they started to market a movie in the way that we see done all the time now uh so yeah i think you really hit the nail on the head on that one and people were totally pumped to see this movie i remember I'm watching the extras, and they were talking about they had a blind screening for some people. They had no idea what they were going to see, and the people are in the theater. They hear, they get told they're seeing Independence Day before the movie starts, and they said that they were cheering already. And the movie, as they're watching it, the director and the producer realize that the film is off so they stop the whole thing it all goes you know and they they tell everybody hey you know we we've got to, to restart well um so they go up there and they're fixing the projector he's like the cheers didn't stop the whole time uh, and then we got the movie back up and running and he's like that's when i knew we had something you know people were already just pumped to see this so mike 
for you, yeah, what was your experience that, that the first time, and, and what kept you kind of coming back to this film and made you want to continue to see it in the theater again and again and again? Well, I was really looking forward to it because, yeah, I had seen the trailers and everything, and, you know, the, the imagery in it was so um, uh, vivid and stuff, and, and just the idea of, you know, things like blowing up the White House and everything, it it just seemed like this, this sort of epic scale filmmaking, which I had not really experienced, you know, on the big screen before, so I, I couldn't wait to see this movie, and I saw the very first show on, uh, well, I guess it was a, a Tuesday night because they did like, you know, back when they called them sneak previews. Now they just call them yeah, Thursday, yeah. you know, but they, they opened it at like seven o'clock the night before. So I guess it would have been like July 1st. And I went and the theater that I, I went to um, had just installed DTS digital sound for this movie, Ooh. you know, and they actually had a sign outside of the auditorium saying like, this is loud, you know, we apologize, but just so you know, this is going to be loud, right? And as soon as that... <laughs> Earmuffs. Right, exactly. And as soon as that ship, you know, comes across, you know, the 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 moon, right? And it starts like vibrating and shaking the, the, the moon dust and everything. You could just feel feel it in your in your gut. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And um, I was kind of hooked from there an interesting little postscript to that story is years and years later i became the projectionist at that theater and we when my company took over we basically gutted the booth and at one point i'm up there and i see a pile of equipment just sitting in the corner and i see something and i'm like what is that and i'm like that's the the dts reader that's a dts reader and i look at it and the manufacture date is june of 1996 and I'm like, this is wow. This is the thing. I'm like, what are you guys doing with this? And the tech is like, oh, that's garbage. We're throwing that away. And I'm like, nope, not today. <laughs> Yoink. And I still have it. I still have it to this day. I keep it on my mantle right here. That's the actual that's awesome. sound reader that I heard Independence Day with. But in as like a part of that, like the whole thing was it was just this massive scale, right? And it it like begged to be seen on the big screen because of the sound and because of the images. I mean, there's that first shot of the uh, the satellite, you know, which is, is flying by, and it comes across the frame, and it's massive, and then you see it up against the ship, and you're like, wow, that's a big ship. And then the satellite keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it's this little speck, and it just kind of goes poof, and you're like, oh, my God, that ship is huge. That type of, of, of scale is something which I had never seen on the big screen before. It's really why they have a big screen. And I think that, you know, people don't really utilize that to, to its full extent. And this movie did. And that's why I saw it. You know, I, I think I saw it four times in the theater. You know, I, I, I couldn't get enough of it. But it, it, it really kind of blew me away and sort of was one of the, the few movies early on which made me fall in love with the big screen experience, you know. That's why I'm going back to see it on the big screen, you know, in a couple days. What you're saying is totally, I mean, we, we're not always copacetic in our, in our thoughts on a film. Uh, we, we will go back and forth on Twitter at each other about things. But I, you're totally blowing my mind with how, you know, I feel like you're just saying everything I wanted to say. I feel like this movie 
in a lot of ways was a next generation's understanding of what Star Wars was like to see on the big screen. That kind of grandeur, like you're saying, I had never experienced something like that before on the big screen. You know, it it it, it was massive. It was huge. The scope, the scale, everything about it was saying in your face massive action, funny characters, you know, I mean, and what was so wonderful is it a it was a movie that just it understood exactly what it was and it what it was going to be and it was that. And it was like the perfect popcorn summer action film on a scale that you just hadn't seen before. I I think I saw this like six times in the theater that summer because, you know, you you get those group of friends who wanted to see it and they hadn't seen it yet and you keep going. Um, And then later on that year, I would see uh, First Contact in the theater six times. That was a busy year for me at the theater, re-seeing movies, but... It was just an incredible experience, and I think, like you, Mike, it was the thing that helped me fall in love with going to the movies. You know, some people don't like the movie experience in the theater, that people are, you know, people can be jerks at the movie theater, but the experience of of being in a theater where everybody is excited to see something, you know, and the, the anticipate, like everybody's on the edge of their seat, and when people cheer or clap or whatever like that, you know, to me, that... That's exactly what happened in Independence Day, and, and that's why I, I love continuing to go to the theater to see big, epic films like this because you can't replace that at home. I can't fit all those people in my home, you know? So I don't care how big my screen is and how good my sound system at home is. It's just it's just not the same. So Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I obviously I see a lot of movies in the theater. I'll see, you know, probably a couple hundred movies in the theater every year, and the first time that, that I saw this movie opening night when the the big disaster, you know, basically is concluding and the dog jumps into the thing, you know, the car comes in and then it fades to black. And then the, the July 2nd, I think it is, or is a July 3rd title card comes up, you know, when that happened, as soon as it faded to black, everyone in the audience just burst out into applause. And, I've only seen that happen like in the middle of a movie, in the middle of it. I can only think of one other time I've seen that happen for a brand new movie. And, and that was X2 of all things. Um, but yeah, it's it was I mean, people were hooked. You know, they were locked into that movie. Hardcore. It, it was crazy. Well, something that is interesting about this movie is that Roland Emmerich, uh, they are promoting Stargate. And he turns to his producer and says, I think I have an idea for our next film because people are asking about the idea of what he thought about uh, the existence of alien life. And so he decides to merge a couple of things, which is the alien movie and the disaster movie, you know, all from the 50s, those 50s, 60s, and 70s films kind of merge them together and make something I think that's really unique and and really bring back, you know, the disaster movie, but use aliens as the one causing the disaster. And I just, I think that that was really smart because, you know, when you think of alien movies up to that point, for the most part, when they're coming to Earth, they they kind of like sneak onto the planet, you know, and they, they like slowly infiltrate 
But this was a movie about an alien species that just comes to the planet and is like, nope, you're dead. I it was it was just something I think that it was that it was. It it's weird though. Kismet, I mean, it, you know, like it, like to to me, like I had never seen anything like that before either, and I I don't think most people who were going to that movie had, but. Like there is definitely, you know, a history of it. <laughs> like, you know, uh, like a few years later, I'm in film school and we're watching the 1950s War of the Worlds, and I'm like, wow! Like, literally, like Roland Emmerich just took this movie and went beat for beat. It's like exactly the same, you know. It's so. I mean, I think there is definitely like a history to this type of movie. It's just that it hadn't been seen for like. 20 years you know and he he brought it back with a fresh approach along with bringing in everything that he learned from things like star wars and stuff like that and and you know presented it you know to a modern audience in a way that they had never seen before you know because i mean you think about it like they even like you know name check it in the movie like x files and stuff like that those are what alien movies had become you know and and you know he's saying like well let's do this a little differently let's do this like they used to do it back in the day. I think that's that's cool. I think somewhere in the back of our minds, we understand that there's that history there, you know, from the past. And, you know, a lot of kids at that point, you know, may have read like World of the Worlds or heard of that somewhere, you know. And something about it just feels familiar. And yet at the same time, he's able to make it fresh, you know. Uh, and I think that that was something that's really interesting because obviously after this moment, you know, Richard, we were talking about before we started the show, uh, your girlfriend loves those disaster movies, you know, like the day after tomorrow, because after this, everybody's going to try and do a huge disaster movie. Right. And I, I, I don't even understand, to be honest. I mean, yeah, I mean, this movie definitely... Fourth of July, you know, military, and that's fantastic. I absolutely love it. But some of those films, I don't, I don't know. It's like San Andreas and, yeah, The Day After Tomorrow and God knows what other films that are um, world-ending films that I just I don't understand. But this one I can. <laughs> I think what made this one interesting is that there was – it was kind of like there's a reason beyond, you know, just like – all of a sudden, the Earth decides it wants to collapse in on itself, you know, or, or cause Good the worst tidal banner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, aliens coming to the planet in massive, you know, 15-mile ships destroying cities, you could buy that almost better than you can, like, a typhoon and a hurricane and a tornado and a thunderstorm Five and uh, tornadoes in the middle yeah, of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They all came together to destroy everything. Or like we have a thousand volcanoes. To you know, become I mean, one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like all the movies, they just kept trying to make the worst disaster they could think of as big as possible. But this one, it just, there's something in, as silly as it sounds, with aliens, it, it actually seemed more realistic than those other movies. And I think, I don't know if Warren Emick just understood that for this uh, and then went and took some crazy pills, and that's why we got The Day After Tomorrow. But, yeah, there's something, I think, about this, Mike, that just works better than those movies that we get down the line. And maybe it's just because this is the first one to do it in such a long time 
and it does it, I think, for the most part, really well. Well, I think w- the the way that this movie stands out from those, I think, is the fact that by making it aliens, it gives you an antagonist, you know? I mean, the big mm, joke with yeah. San Andreas is like, oh, man, I'm going to go see that movie and watch The Rock punch an earthquake, you know? And, yeah. and which he pretty much <laughs> He's going to stop an earthquake with his fist. You know? And it's like with with Independence Day, it's all building up to this essentially battle where you're going to fight the disaster in this particular case. Whereas in a movie like San Andreas or 2012 or whatever, there isn't that. It's more of just like running it or, you know surviving and you know if your character stuff isn't strong which in these movies it tends to not be i mean certainly there are exceptions independence day i think being one of them although some people would argue that um then you know you're left with some really cool set pieces and then like a manufactured ending you know like san andreas he's like i'm gonna you know I don't really care about saving all these people and following orders. I'm just going to get my daughter or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, really? Okay, well, that's an interesting thing to base a, a movie on, you know, and uh, or, or 2012, you know, it's like, well, let's just try to run away and start fresh. I mean, you can certainly do that well, and there are movies which have done that well, but I think it's a lot easier to make a movie when you have, like, a bad guy, a strong bad guy, you know, and, and, and Independence Day certainly has that. They've got the alien threat. And it's like, even though everyone dies, <laughs> you still say like, well, at least no one else will die and we still save the planet. Whereas with, you know, like San Andreas, it's like, well, it's over now. Okay, cool. Some people didn't die, you know, but here it's like actually like an active um, attempt to stop what's going on, which I guess exists in, like, the core or whatever, but, you know, it, it doesn't quite work as well. <laughs> well, and and that's one of the things that I thought was so interesting because, you know, uh, yes, these aliens come in as just the bad guys, but what I liked is that they gave them motivation for why they do what they do. You know, it's not just that they come in and they don't care. It's just... Their society is is basically a locust type society. You know, they they go from planet to planet, taking what they need and and moving on to the next planet, just like you know animal life does here on our planet. You know, um, like locusts do. And so, what I loved is that there was actually this kind of like biological reason for doing what they do, and it again it made it. They gave the aliens a little bit of character development that made them seem more than just monsters. It's a part of who they are. And yeah, we're going to fight them because this is our planet. But they're just not mindless monsters coming to attack for no good reason. You know, and I think that was a smart thing that they realized about this movie. And, and it's a small piece of character development, but it makes a world of difference in, in like not just having them be... I mean, they're not mustache-twirling villains, you know? Like, they have a reason for existence. It's it's something which, you know, I mean, I heard James Cameron talking about this a a while ago, and I I think there's something to it where, you know, they were saying, like, hey, if aliens come to Earth, do you think it's going to be like the Abyss where they help to, you know, better our society or whatever? And he's like, well, looking at 
Earth history and sort of extrapolating the way these things work, I'm guessing no. I'm guessing they'll be like, oh, look at those humans. Like, we look at ants, and they'll exterminate us and take what they want and move on, because that's what we do, you know? And hearing that, you know, it really kind of, like, clicked and was like, yeah, that actually does make a lot of sense. You know, these aliens are obviously way more advanced than humans, and I don't think that they're being evil for the sake of being evil they're not like we want to kill the people they're just like these people are in our way let's get rid of them so that we can move in you know like we would you know exterminate you know bugs in a house or something so you know it's it's still you know that definitely they are the bad guys but you know i i it it, it's not like it's un unfounded in in terms of their motivations or anything so you're saying those city ships are just like their roach bombs you know they place on you know and they're like we just clean up the planet and then we come in and take what we want yeah all those guys who who died they're just like the orkin men and they're like god like really you know i mean it's not like they have like their you know it's not like they're their military leaders or whatever they're just like you know we're they're sprinkling the white crystals over the over the nest yeah and then yeah. you know we sting them and then they're like ow ow man it's not what i signed up for yeah <laughs> oh man that's so true i mean I think, again, it, it's one of the things about the movie that when you kind of peel back the layers of it, and there are layers, which is nice, it is not just complete popcorn entertainment, you know? Um, it, it's not completely mindless entertainment. Uh, the storyline has logical sense. Uh, for the most part, I guess we could talk about the end where we give, you know, the alien's computer a virus like we give it a cold uploaded by a mac yeah it it doesn't have any i thought it was a dell yeah no it doesn't have any connection i mean it's not like it's running on the world wide web i no idea how that's even possible because there's not even any connections to the i mean like that's where the movie totally falls apart. I mean, it's like, we're going to give it a virus, but we're not hardwired into the... Did Wi-Fi exist back then? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Well, but they could could be wired into (laughs) the the spaceship, and the spaceship docks. Well, no, that, I mean, but I just didn't see any wires on his computer hooked. I mean, it's like, they they don't pretend like he's connected to anything. He can just do... Well, they were in Area 51. They could have classified Wi-Fi. That's true. Classified (laughs) (laughs) Wi-Fi. Richard has figured it out. I mean, you know, to me, that type of thing, like, (laughs) would never bother me because of the type of movie this is. I mean, that's like the, the, the last thing on my mind is like, does... Does the it makes sense how they uploaded this virus? It's like okay, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, like... I, I, it it was just one of those things. Like you know, I've seen the movie so many times, and so you do start to think about other things when you're watching it. Like, wait a minute, that doesn't that doesn't really make logical sense that he has a computer that's from 1996 that can just upload a virus to an alien software, not hardwired in or anything like that. It's just Sending a virus yeah. over the fake Wi-Fi that he doesn't have at this point in time. Damn it, Matt! You're so. ruining it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it just it's it, 
But for the most part, what I love, though, is that the setup and and a lot of the other things in the movie really do make sense. You know, like setting up the aliens, why they're here, all that kind of stuff. I just, I think all that stuff really does wonder so that when you get to the payoff and there are some things that don't make sense, like you said, Mike, that's the last thing in your mind because you don't care. You're just watching us win, you know, like, and... We, well, we're Americans and we like to win. So, unless unless we play Even soccer, though, in which case, that's <laughs> hey hey hey, men's soccer, the women's soccer, we we whoop up. Uh, you know, we did win the World Cup, so just three times. So right. anyway, totally different podcast. We're not here to talk about sports ball. I wanted to ask you guys about this cast because I think I mentioned earlier, but I think that it this is the thing that sells this movie in the sense that for all the craziness that is happening, you know, you put Will Smith in a movie, pretty much care about him for the most part. And I think like you were talking about Richard, this, I mean, this is the first time since, um, you know, for all the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air fans back in the day, like, this is his, like, this is a really big coming out party for Will Smith. I mean, this movie puts him on the map as the guy that you want making, you know, uh, in, in your movie with you at that point. Oh, yeah, and definitely he shows all that uh, all that energy and uh, emotion that, you know, t- uh, if something like this were to happen, a typical American or probably, I'm sure that everyone around the world would be, uh, would be saying it like, let's go up there and whoop ET's butt. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, I mean, it definitely, I mean, watching him explain and just, just reacting to things. It's like, that's exactly what I would say, or that's exactly how I would feel. Cause I'm going to go up there and kick his butt. <laughs> yeah. It's it. Yeah. He's, he sells it for me the, the whole entire, the whole entire movie. <laughs> I think I, I kind of love. Um, do you guys see Jersey Girl, Kevin Smith's Jersey Girl? Yes, yes. It's a, actually a very good movie, despite what people say. But there's a whole thing in there where you know they they start off in like the year 1995 or 1996, and they're trying to do this like tie-in with you know the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and he's trying to you know launch his movie career. He's going to be in some movie called Independence Day, and Affleck has that great line. He's like like the fresh prince of bel air could ever be a movie star you know and it's pretty it's pretty great but um <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I don't think that i had seen him in anything up until this point either i mean he had been in bad boys you know and that was certainly like looking at it now i hadn't seen bad boys then but looking at it now it's like oh yeah totally but uh yeah this is i think I mean, because like there was this and then there was, you know, Men in Black and the next year. I mean, this is when they started calling, you know, Fourth of July Big Willie Weekend. Right. I mean, that was that was the thing. And he really was sort Big of Willie style <laughs> getting jiggy with it. He was he was the king of, you know, blockbusters, you know, starting with this movie. Not Jeff Goldblum, which I think is kind of wrong because Jeff Goldblum clearly is the true king. Of the yeah, but both of them connected uh, with each other. It was just, it was a great duo. That's true. Yeah, that's true. No, I, I think you're right, um, Richard, because, you know, without Jeff Volbloom, kind of the more straight man for Will Smith to bounce off of, it just doesn't work as well, you know? And those two really, I think they found this kind of weird chemistry together to be able to work well. And, and 
like you were saying, Mike, you know, yeah, Will Smith, I mean, uh, it's uh, his performance in Six Degrees of Separation uh, that Emmerich saw and wanted him in this movie after he saw that. But like you, you know, I, I know him from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you know, uh, and seeing it on TV every once in a while. So I think that he brings just a vitality to this movie, and he's just so, I mean... My favorite scene in the movie is when he's dragging the alien across the way and he's like, I could have been in a barbecue, you know, like he is just so incensed that his life has been interrupted. His Independence Day with some hot dogs, his lady by the pool has been interrupted. Um, but that's his way of dealing with the situation. You know, he's just and and it's like you said, Richard, it's perfect because that's just I think that's how any guy anywhere in the world, any woman anywhere in the world just kind of deals with a situation like this that's so unbelievable that you start complaining about things like, I could have been at a barbecue. Right, and you there's know? so much prep time and all that food, uh-uh, uh-uh. You don't give mm. it between me and my food, uh-uh. No, man, uh-uh. <laughs> Potato salad, get out of my way. Um, no, I, I, you're right. And then, I mean, Jeff Goldblum, I think, you know, this... Jurassic Park had come out, really put him on the map. Sexy Jeff Goldblum loves having his shirts unbuttoned, you know, seeing the chest here. Ladies loved it. I don't get the appeal of Jeff Goldblum like that. I just think he's kind of a funny actor. Um, but he's, again, he's the perfect guy in this movie to be the um, hippie environmentalist, bike riding, we have to recycle to save the planet guy who by the end is like, cigars, I can get used to those. Yeah, but he's still trying to save the planet. And that was kind of one of the things that I, I, I loved about it was, you know, I mean, this this movie is, you know, like like we're saying, you know, very sort of like military driven. And I mean, we're, we haven't even mentioned the third, you know, sort of lead in this movie, which is Bill Pullman, the president. So you've got the political aspect to it. You've got the militaristic aspect to it. And then like the guy who really at the end of the day is sort of like the key to this whole thing is the the cable guy, you know, who he's trying to save the world. He's a nerd, an environmentalist. And as someone who, you know, was a nerdy kid who at the time, I think, kind of wanted to be a cable guy when he grew up, I could certainly relate to Jeff Goldblum the most out of those, you know, three characters. And, and I thought it was great, you know? No, I completely agree with you. I think that making the kind of the all-American type guy with Will Smith, athletic, you know, funny. You could probably tell the guy played football in high school kind of thing, mixed with the super nerdy dude who likes, again, to ride his bike and make sure that we throw the Coke cans in the right container uh, and and uh, likes to play with computers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the perfect mix, and I think they just get it right and the casting right. And I, I don't think that this movie works if you don't have them giving the lines, you know? I, I think in a lot of ways this reminds me of Star Wars in the sense that if you have somebody other than Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill saying these lines to each other in the way that they do and making you believe that they believe what they're saying— I think this movie could come off really badly, you know, but especially those two characters, I think they believe in what they're saying and what they're doing. And so they make the audience believe it. 
And that's the power, I think, of a, a good actor, you know? So, um, because I think anybody other than kind of Will Smith playing this role at this point, I just don't know if it would have worked. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, he's, he's he was definitely very well cast, and, and, you know, I think he came out of nowhere, took a lot of people by surprise, because I don't think people really envisioned him in that sort of role, which is crazy, because that's now exactly how we envision him, you know? And, you know, Jeff Goldblum, you know, it's kind of like a natural extension of, I think, what we saw in, you know, Jurassic Park and The Fly and those things, and, and that made sense. And yeah, you're right. I mean, the two of them together, I think it's it's perfect casting, you know, along with a lot of other people in this movie, too. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you guys. I mean, there's a ton of, of like, extra actors in this movie, like, really fill this cast with some amazing people. So who are some of the ones that do stand out to you that you're like, man, every time I watch this movie, I love that character. Well, I was just thinking, it's like, you know, Je- uh, Jeff Goldblum's father just reminds just reminds me so much of my dad. <laughs> just some of the things that he says in the movie, it's just, it's just like, oh, man. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, and there's a, I mean, there's really no one, I mean, I think Will Smith uh, brings out more into me than anyone else. But I mean, I mean, they all all of them work and they just I don't know. None of them really stand out to me. I mean, really, except for uh, Jeff Goldblum's uh, father in this uh, in this story. Um, I mean, I I really like uh, Margaret Collin as uh, the the president's what is it? Is she the? Chief of staff. I don't know what she is. She's president's. Uh, she's the White House communications director. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think that she's she's really good, and you know, I think that she does sort of a good job, like mediating between you know Bill Pullman and 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 Jeff Goldblum as you know two of the the three main leads. You know, I think that she she really brings a lot to the movie for sure. For me, the two characters that stand out that I really enjoy, I think, the most next to the main leads, one is Harry Connick Jr. Uh, I love his character with Will Smith at the beginning when they're first going up, you know, and he just, there is something about the way that he plays the role. He's funny. He's even funnier than Will Smith in those scenes. Um Strangely enough, he was supposed to be played by Matthew Perry. Uh, I, I'm I'm wondering if this is one of those times when Matthew Perry was really having an issue, um, as he did in in the late '90s uh, with some substance abuse and all, and so that he had to be replaced. But man, do I think Harry Connick Jr. just nailed that role. And when he dies, it sucked for me because I was like, I wanted him in the movie more because I liked that interaction. But I mean. You know, if he doesn't die, I don't know if the relationship between Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum's character works as well, because you kind of had this third wheel, basically. So, so for me, he stands out. And then I can't believe neither of you guys mentioned the huge Star Trek reference that's just all over this movie of Brett Spiner. Uh, and I, I remember this being a huge deal as the Star Trek fan, you know, going to the movie and be like, there's Data playing a super crazy guy. And I mean, Brent Spiner just does what he does best, honestly, and that's be a ham. And he just plays that role to the nth degree. And I think uh, it just, it really worked. So I I thought he was one of those like small casting roles where it's like, just took that role and ran with it. And great job casting. This is too bad he got strangled to death. 
Yeah. yeah. That's too Although bad he won't he's be gonna, in the he's next still movie. Live. Yeah. Damn so. it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I thought that, that Brent Spiner was, was really good in this movie, and certainly there was that. I mean, as someone who was at that this point in time much more a Star Trek fan than a movie fan, to see a Star Trek actor in a in a mainstream movie was always kind of like a, a deep cut moment, you know, for me, like, oh my God. And and he was acting, you know, much, much different than he does when he's playing Data. And, and I thought that that was really cool. The Harry Connick Jr. thing, honestly, I, I can't, that like is the, the, whenever I see him on screen, I'm just like, oh, everything that people say about this movie is true. This is the most cringeworthy stuff I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I cannot hey, stand right. his performance in this movie. It just grates on me, I have to say. I'm sorry, but uh, this is where we disagree on Independence Day. That's, that's okay. That's okay. But, I mean, what's crazy about this movie is that there are a lot of people who are going to go on in sci-fi to do some other big things. Adam Baldwin uh, with Firefly and Chuck. Uh, is in this movie. He looks really. I mean, he's so young. And X Files. Uh, Don't forget about X Files. Yeah, and mm. he has a lot of his hair. Yeah. So it, it's it's really weird. Uh, and of course, um, I, Battlestar Galactica Mar- fans know Mary McDonald uh, played the first lady here, uh, whereas later on she'll play the president in Battlestar Galactica. So uh, you just we we had a real pedigree with this movie with people. And then of course, Mae Whitman plays their daughter, uh, who will go on to be a, an amazing actor in her own right. I mean, you know. Uh, parenthood and all sorts of great things she's done throughout the years that I've really enjoyed her in. So it's really cool um, that you know casting someone when they're like eight years old and then them becoming a big star. You know when they're you know twenty years later, you can actually use the same actress to portray her in the sequel. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to don't. most in Independence Day Resurgence. Wait, 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 hold on. They're not using Mae Whitman. She's not in the movie. Oh, really? No? Yeah, no. She's yeah, definitely no. not in the movie. It is yeah. the thing which drives me. That is the Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. of my Independence Day resurgence anticipation. I cannot believe that they would not cast her in this movie. That is absolutely ridiculous. They should be ashamed of themselves. But regardless. I wonder if they couldn't. <laughs> do, do you think maybe they couldn't get her just because the role wouldn't be big enough to I, for the money? I think that that is absolutely 100% not the case because Anna Kendrick got on Twitter and was like, you people should be ashamed of yourself. She just opened a movie and she's a proven actress and why wouldn't you cast her? And then she's like, thanks for getting my back, Anna. So yeah, no, they definitely did not offer her the role. They just wanted someone who they figured was more attractive. I guess. Uh, well, and it that is kind of sad because she's a fantastic actress. And I mean, gosh, if Anna Kendrick's got your back, I'm behind you 100%. Yep, so yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's, they, that they, they, it's, it's, it's like they completely did what everyone does to her in Arrested Development, right? And just forgot that she exists. <laughs> What? Who? (laughs) And what? Uh, Uh, Yeah. Drives me crazy. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Arrested Development. (laughs) Now now I'm thinking of Arrested Development 9. I've made a huge mistake, Michael. Um, (laughs) Well, okay. One of the things that I think that blows me away about this movie 20 years later, and, you know, obviously I think for most of us uh, who saw this movie originally, one of the things that we were 
just most enamored by were the effects. You know, a lot like Star Wars coming out uh, when it did, this is a movie that took uh, a lot of old technologies and some new technologies, melded them together to do something that we just hadn't seen on screen like this before. And I have to say that what I'm most impressed by is 20 years later that most of these effects still look really good, especially the explosions where they're blowing up like the White House. Still looks legit. Totally looks like the White House to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I love, it's it's basically just a huge, I mean, they built a huge model. It's like 10 feet by 5 feet, and they blew the crap out of it. Didn't they blow that thing up like five or six times or at least smaller models before they actually blew up the big one? I watched the extras to see, and they actually just blew it up once. Huh. Yeah, and uh, they were actually showing what the replay looks like, and they're like, you have to remember, replay back then was pretty terrible, and it was like VHS quality, so they're like going frame by frame, and but, I mean, it just turned out wonderful, so... You know, I, I, I really, I have to give it to them that instead of doing the thing which they could have done, which was really use tons of CGI, um, a lot of this is just model shots, tracking shots, you know. Um, you'd be surprised how many of the models uh, are the ships or actual models, you know. Um, and, uh, and then what was really crazy is that they were some of the first people to create the software so that the ships in the background knew which ship was which and that they should be going after each other. Like, really cool stuff. So, like, if you're, like, a film geek and love extras, seeing how they did this was really incredible. Can I digress for a minute and tell a story from 1996, which captures how uh, the... the, uh, the, the the society in general was was taken over by by Independence Day fever. I I was working at a comic book store and there was a guy who had not seen the movie and he bought a 3D model like a 3D puzzle of the uh, the the White House right and he spent an entire day at work putting together this thing and i'm like what are you doing why are you building the white house and he's like oh well i i'm I'm working on a thing and i'm like okay cool whatever so he builds this model and he's like okay and he brings in a camera and a bowling ball and he's like i'm going to shoot that shot from independence day and after spending an entire day working on this model he set up a camera and the model and then he just dropped a bowling ball on it and he's like all right cool that was awesome that was it Everyone wanted a piece of this movie, so there you go. That is awesome. <laughs> That's really funny. But but you're right. Uh, did it I think look one of the reasons like it. I'm sorry. What was that? Did it look anything like the shot from Independence Day, or a little less fireball? Uh, a little less fireball. It was still impressive, though. I think just the time that he he took, the dedication to this, you know, it, it, much like the model makers on on the movie. And I mean, I think that's why this. The, the the effects do work so well here is because since it is like model based it's like i think the last movie that was really so heavily model based so it in in some ways what we're seeing is sort of like the uh the culmination of what people had been working on in this particular you know 
artistry or whatever for however many years they'd been doing it, you know, I mean, since the dawn of cinema, since, you know, a trip to the moon or whatever it was. And, you know, I mean, it, it watching it in the theater, it really reminded me of Return of the Jedi, you know, the end of Return of the Jedi. And I felt like this is so cool. This is kind of like an extension of that. And, you know, after that, you know, we really start heading into the CGI realm and, and everything. And, and, uh, there's sort of a lot of backtracking, I think, because people are trying to figure out the technology, you know, again. And uh, I think that's why this one stands out so well is because it really is sort of like um, model work perfected in a sense, you know, it's impressive. Well, and I think one of the neat things was is like even, you know, the explosions that they do. Uh, you know, they build these sets with all of the city streets and they put them upright, and they shoot a fireball from the bottom going up. So it has that exploding feel, and you can't tell the way they're shooting it, but it looks so realistic as if the explosion is coming out towards you with the, the fire cloud that they want and everything like that. I just I think it's really impressive, the work that they put into it. Um, it reminds me a lot of, you know... Um, the uh, it reminds me of the Phantom Menace and the model work there still, and the way in which uh, Peter Jackson would still use um, you know models in the Lord of the Rings. You know, realizing that model work, if you do it right, you build it big enough, it it still holds up on camera even better than anything you could probably create a lot of times in the computer because it has dimensionality. And so when the cities are exploding and everything, you still feel the dimension of it. I think that's, it's wonderful. Um, and I think it's a testament that 20 years later, you can watch the effects. And for the most part, you're buying it. You know, that's great. Um, you know, there's, as with any movie that's pushing the special effects boundaries, you watch it now and you'll see the scenes where like, oh, I can see the the fire comping on the huge ships at the end. Not quite as good as it should be, you know. Uh, you just let that stuff go. Um, but, I mean, even the aliens that they created, those were all models and creature creations that, like, guys would be on the side out of the scene shaking tentacles. Like, and all of the aliens that even saw on the main spaceship, the mothership, all of those are real, just replicated in the computer. So it's all real suits standing there. You know, they'd have, and then they would just replicate them in the computer, you know. Um, so really using the best of the technology. So, yeah, I think it's um, it's one of the things that makes me still enjoy watching this movie because you're not pulled out by awful special effects as you are like i've been trying to get into babylon 5 and i'll probably get tons of hate uh, from people but i'm really having a hard time with this first season because they use cgi instead of what's trek did with with models and the cgi is so bad i mean it looks like a video game from that time period it pulls me out of the story you know and i, I just think they did the right thing so uh, I got to give it to him. Um, really well done. Which leads me to the question for you guys. Uh, Richard, what do you think? When you're watching this movie, and we talk about, about it and 20 years later, does this movie still hold up, you think, for a modern audience? Like, if, you know, you hadn't show somebody hadn't seen this, you know, say they're 
12 to, you know, 16. They've never seen Independence Day. Do you feel like this movie still holds up for, for that kind of audience? Um, Actually, you know, that's funny you mentioned that because I actually had my daughter watch this not too long ago for the very first time. And she and, you know, I was like, you know, I, hey, I got to do this podcast. You want to you want to watch this movie with me? And she you know agreed. And seeing the movie for the first time and just watching her eyes glued to the TV, it was like, holy crap. That's exactly what that's exactly the face I had back when I saw it back in 96. And, you know, I just, I mean, obviously when the action stopped and, you know, sort of slowed down, that's when she started losing interest and everything. And then, of course, when it all ramped back up and and everything, it was it was just amazing to see that she was so transfixed to that screen. It was like, oh my God, I've never, you know, and she's like, is that real? Is Was the first thing she said to me once the action started really, uh, you know, um, down, uh, down, down, uh, starting to go down. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, even today, I mean, even when I watch it again, I mean, I haven't watched before the, before this podcast was going to come up. I mean, I used to watch this almost every month or, you know, actually almost every week. And then of course it downgraded after that, but watching it again, it's like, Oh my God, I love this film. (laughs) And I think I've watched it three or four times since then. And it's just, it, it's, it's, I mean, to me, it holds up it to my daughter. It holds up. I think I've, uh, I think it's. I think I've shown this movie to God knows how many when, it, especially when it came on DVD. Who hadn't seen it? And but then again, that was like ten years ago. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I to this day, I still think it does. Yeah, and I, I can't wait for the new one. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, you know, I I had a similar experience where you know I was talking to to a guy who um is like nineteen years old. And, you know, the new movie's coming out, obviously. And I'm like, have you seen the, the first one? And he's like, no, I haven't. And I'm like, okay, well, let me bring it to you so you can you can take a look. And he watched it and he came back the next day and he's like, oh, yeah, that movie was really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I was kind of skeptical because there's certainly been movies which I've shown people, you know, like teenagers, which I saw and loved as a teenager. And it just, they don't hold up, you know. But he he agreed that that it was you know really solid. It's it's weird because I don't know how much the movie holds up for me, but I think that's more of a reflection of you know where I'm at now in life compared to where I was when I saw it. You know, like this was I mean the summer of '96, just like you were saying, Matt. It was you know a, a really big deal for me in terms of movie watching um, because it was the first summer where I went to see everything. You know, like everything mission impossible eraser the rock everything and this was really sort of like the centerpiece of that summer you know that is sort of like the the point the focal point where everything you know kind of was leading up to independence day and then there was everything that came after independence day but that that was like the one that i saw you know four times and everything and looking at those movies now, and I have been watching a lot of those movies this summer because it's the 20th anniversary. So I'm like, hey, Twister. Um, this one. Oh, Twister. <laughs> uh, love Twister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's no moon. <laughs> That's a space station. I, you know, comparing it to some of those movies, it's it's definitely better than some of them, like Twister. But comparing it to like the rock i mean come on the rock is way better than independence day and i think a lot of my love for it has to do more with nostalgia than with the actual quality of the movie because i can definitely see the seams i can definitely see the things that that you know uh, critics at the time you know critics hated this movie and like 
Siskel and Ebert famously did a follow-up where they're like, okay, this movie's made like $3 billion. I guess we got something wrong. Let's watch it again and see if we like it. And they watched it again. And they're like, nope, still sucks. You know, so I, I like, I wonder, like, if I had seen this, like, as a 36-year-old back in 1996, would I like it? And I think I would like it, but I wouldn't love it like I do now, you know? So I don't know. It's 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 weird. It's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I mean, it, it, you know, being in the military and everything, it, it's just it, it just brings back all those emotions. And it's just, you know, it, it's, you know, like like we all said, you know, the, uh, the aliens are the protagonists and they're, and they're the enemy and it builds up. It's just I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, it's the same feeling that I had with uh, Battle of Los Angeles as well. I mean, there it's just. I mean, because I'm 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 in, I was infantry, so <laughs> I'm on the ground, not flying planes. <laughs> so the the movie when it comes out, you know, I, I I didn't pay attention to critics back then. You know, I'm not old enough to care what they have to say. Uh, even though then it, it was like a 61 percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, aggregated score now, and if like you look at Metacritic, it's a uh, 59. So really, I mean, that's a fresh movie uh, when you think about it. I think the thing about the movie, and I said this at the beginning of the podcast, and I think it still holds true, is the movie knows exactly what it is, and it never tries to be more than that. Yes, uh, Jeff Goldblum is running around telling people he, they need to take better care of the planet or whatever, but for the most part, this movie's not trying to have a big message or anything like that. It's just, it's an action-adventure, crazy disaster movie that never tries to to be more than that and i i think it has great characters that are fun and are relatable enough so that you can feel like you understand them um and you care about them enough you know i mean i think will smith's character you care about him uh you care about jeff goldblum's character enough uh and i think they make you care enough about the president so you at least have three people to kind of grab onto. Everybody else kind of revolves around them. But, you know, they make enough of the moves to make you connect with the movie itself, you know? Um, and I think that's what makes it still work today. And I, I, I think that's what makes it still hold up today because I can show it to anybody and not feel like I'm showing them something that I liked purely for nostalgia's sake. Like, I think there's still things to point out about this movie that it does super well, like we talked about, like with the casting choices that they did make, with the effects work that they made. Um, some of the fun story elements, as I criticized earlier, there's some really dumb story elements to this movie too, and it's just part and parcel to a big popcorn film, and, and uh, I also don't judge m these type of movies quite as harshly as I might, so... Yeah, to me, this movie completely holds up and is super fun. Now, I'll say we're going to be talking about uh, Resurgence next week. What worries me about that movie is it seems to be trying to take itself a little bit too seriously. At least that's what I see from the trailers, that it's trying to take itself more in a serious direction. I don't know if that works, but we'll see. Did we see I, that back in '96? So. That uh, any of the real humor back then? I mean, because I don't remember any of the trailers like that because it was very serious back well, then. Well, the 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 promos for the the original were the shock and awe of like blowing mm. up the White House and stuff. 
And they were showing, they were, they, they were shock you and awing you into the theater, mm-hmm. you know. But once you got there, y- you got exactly what the movie is supposed to be. Like we all know now what Independence Day is. I I don't know if trying to take it in a, any kind of more serious direction will work. Um, so I again I, that's just my snap judgment watching the trailer. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, we get you know I I, I got the same feeling from watching like the trailers for Transformers. You know, the first Transformers movie, which is you know very much a comedy, despite the marketing. You know that kind of thing. And I mean, this does have you know. Lines like they like to go for the landmarks, you know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and and not judge it based on the the trailers, you know. And if they if they do decide to go dark, then you know, hey, good for them. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the other thing though with the new movie as well is that this I I'd say one of the best things about Independence Day is it walks the line between cheesy. And just enough serious to make it work. You know, um, can you walk that line a second time with the same kind of premise? I don't know. So it'll be really interesting. But that leads me to a big question for you guys. Now, seeing the movie again, uh, for me, I'm like you, Richard. I hadn't seen this movie probably in like 10 years. So it's been a long time. Uh, But what what do you think you'd end up rating this maybe out of, um, you know, five racks of whatever rib. you want to choose so <laughs> i definitely uh it like i said it holds up for me i lo- absolutely love this film even today i mean it's one of those films that i can't just i can never get bored of i mean definitely five out of five for me um yeah if, if we're going on a five star scale i guess i'd probably give it four i would have given it five back in 1996 but you know there's definitely some stuff in there where I'm like, eh, but it's not, you know, a case of like me. I mean, you know, I, I was saying that would do, I like it as much as I did back in back then or whatever. I mean, it's not a case like Batman forever, you know, where I watch that movie now and I'm like, I love this movie. And I totally know that the reason why I love this movie is because I loved it when I was 15. You know, I mean, yeah. this definitely has, it's definitely a good movie, and it 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 has a lot of stuff going for it. I, I just see a few cracks as well, you know. But on the whole, yeah, I would give it probably like four out of five stars. I'm right there with you, man. Uh, I think this is four out of five dolphin engagement rings. I mean, this is this is definitely a fun movie that I think still holds up. Uh, I think it stands the test of time as to what it's trying to be, what it's trying to do, and. I still have a blast watching it. And and I mean, really, sometimes that's all that matters, you know? Um, part of that could probably be a little nostalgia that I can remember being, you know, like a 13, uh, 15, 16-year-old kid in the theater with my friends. Uh, but at the same time, the fact that I can still feel that way now, even with, like you, Mike, some of the things that I can see in the movie that, eh, you know that that speaks volumes for the movie so uh, you know if you haven't seen it in a while go pop it in pop yourself some popcorn you know grab a drink from somewhere with coke or beer or whatever and just have a great time um and if you've got people that haven't seen the movie heck this is a great movie to watch over the fourth of july because it'll make you feel patriotic and love the world all at the same time so 
Um, I, I just, I love that, you know, we get the opportunity to do this because we have a great associate producers here through Patreon. Uh, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson are so generous. I love these guys and I love that they support the 602 Club through Patreon. Now, how they do that, they understand, guys, that we are a listener-supported network. We need the help of all the listeners to be able to bring this content to you each and every week. What we do here at the 602 Club and everything else across Trek FM, which uh, if you look on iTunes, we've got over 20 different shows. We've got special feeds going on. We can't make this happen alone. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of our team uh, and help make sure that the content, the quality keeps coming to you each and every week. Again, that's patreon.com slash Trek FM. Well, Richard, I'm excited that we had you here for your first show in the 602 Club, and I'm excited you'll be back next week to talk a little resurgence. So I'm crossing my fingers. We'll have some really great things to be able to talk about then. But uh, anybody wants to talk to you online here about uh, Independence Day, where can they find you? Um, They can actually just find me in the Babel Con- Conference. I'm not on Twitter, so yeah, you can just find me on the Babel Conference. Awesome. So if you want to talk to Richard, which you you, you do, believe me, you're going to want to join the Babel Conference. Mike, uh, before we get out of here, uh, where can everybody find you? Well, first off, I, I just want to make sure that people know that if it's if it weren't for Richard, no one would hear any of these podcasts because he's That's the one so true. who oh, makes on. sure <laughs> that all of the mistakes that we make when we're trying to publish these things don't get well, in the They hands. don't happen often. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to say I mean, thank unless you. unless Mike's doing his podcast. Yeah, and I also <laughs> want to say thank you since I'm usually publishing mine at 3 o'clock in the morning that you have to do it before you go to work or whatever, and I appreciate you taking the time for that, and I will try to get better. I promise. Uh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you, it's on. It's it's on air, folks. So you can hold Mike to that. <laughs> well, he's the only one who will know. So you know, because because Richard, he never, you know, he always gets his work done on time. So yeah. Uh, but <laughs> six o'clock before I leave for work. <laughs> exactly. So yes. Yeah, so thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Um, well, you're welcome, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me uh, doing Stage Nine, which is a new show which I do with uh, John Mills right here on Trek FM, where we talk about the people who make Star Trek. Uh, in, in the new episode, um, of course, we're, we're discussing Anton Yelchin, um, but uh, you can find us right here every Friday. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And guys, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on the network here doing The Orb with Chris Jones. We're talking about Deep Space Nine. I'm also doing, of course, Literary Treks with Dan and Bruce Gibson. We're talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also get an opportunity a lot of times to interview the authors about their latest books. Check that out. So much fun. Um, I'm joined by a guy that Mike is very familiar with, that John Mills guy, uh, on a show called Aggressive Negotiations over on the Nerd Party, so you can check that out. Uh, it's a Star Wars show. We have a lot of fun doing that. We're, of course, on iTunes under Aggressive Negotiations, and just have a blast. So be sure to check all those out. And, and of course, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? You hear?